Shortcast Club. Hello, we're here today with volume 14 of our favorite recent shortcasts. I'm Avi Kaufman, your host. If you like variety, this is the podcast for you. You might have noticed a new name for the podcast. We're no longer calling it Best of Shortcast Club. It seems that was confusing to some people, so we're trying out a new name. Knowledge Nuggets with Shortcast Club. What do you think? If you have a better idea, please send to me at avi at shortcast.club. Today's theme is things that are hidden under the surface. You'll hear from Kayla Yuli about a history and culture you may not have heard of before, from Marcel Eaton, an author, on what it means to show, not tell, from Daniel Lim with the ideal makeup of a study group, from Joshua Terhune with a question and insight about pet peeves, from Kate Meniscalco about baseball and Thanksgiving dishes, from Dr. Ben Rain about a challenge when studying psychedelics, from Bill Harper with advice on simplifying your messaging, and finally from Stacy Savage with her origin story about how she got into her field of environmental consulting. Let's get started. Kayla Yuli is a business coach for online stores, but in this episode of her shortcast, she explains her identity as an Indo, that is Dutch-Indonesian, and some of the history around that. The hardest thing about being from a tiny ethnicity that no one's ever heard of is trying to explain this. I'm Indo, which is not Indonesian. And here's where it gets kind of evil. What happened is the Dutch colonized what's now known as Indonesia for spices. And in an effort to legitimize their presence on the islands, they took native women, sometimes as wives, but sometimes not. And the resulting offspring were called Indos. Now to be an Indo was not a good thing. If your Dutch father claimed you as legitimate, you could have access to status or property. If he didn't claim you, you went back to the jungle and had access to nothing. The Indos were often used as a tool by the Dutch to enforce servitude among the natives. Now, sometime after this, the Indonesians declared their independence. Being an Indo during that time was very dangerous. Most Indo grandparents, our Omas and Opas, were in war camps, saw their families and friends killed, tortured to death, and were eventually ejected. So historically, neither the Dutch or Indonesians like us that much. But to answer your question, it's not like a 50-50 split. We're Indo all the way back. Parents, grandparents, we're an entirely different culture. Up next, Marcel Itan. She's an author, editor, and writing coach. Common advice given to writers is to show, don't tell. What does that mean? In this episode from her shortcast, she shows us exactly what that means. What does show don't tell actually mean? I've never understood it properly in relation to books. This is a great question. Showing means that through your character's actions and reactions and thoughts, you are letting your readers draw the information that you're trying to convey versus telling them would be just straight up saying the information. So for example, if the information that you're trying to convey is that one character really cares about another character, a good way of showing that would be to put that character in danger and have the character who cares for them dive in after with no regard for their own well-being, just trying to save them. So if for whatever reason this character falls into shark-infested waters, the other one dives right in. Versus telling would be having the character who is cared for say something like, I know he really cares about me, and that's it. Or have the other character, the one who cares for the other character, tell them directly, like, I really care about you. In my humble opinion, sometimes the things that hit the hardest are the ones that were never said, but you showed them so many times and so well that they're clear anyway. Works the same with characters who don't care about another character. Like, you could have a parent who is consistently neglectful and is always putting their own well-being above their child's. And this same idea of showing and not telling extends to almost every Thing. Like, if the information you're trying to convey is that it is cold outside, you could have your character wrap their cloak around them a little tighter and shiver when they walk outside. Important caveat, you don't always have to show. There are plenty of situations in which it's totally fine to just say it's cold outside. So use your best judgment. This is just a tool for you to have in your writing toolbox. 
Next up is Daniel Lim, a college application coach who has reviewed over 5,000 college applications. In this episode of his shortcast, Limmy Talks, he shares a possibly tongue-in-cheek but also probably true and good study approach to get all A's. Only thing you need to know about how to get good grades. You need a three-man squad, okay? You're going to need all three of these people, okay? You're going to be one of them, but you're going to need all three for this plan to work. Number one is the teacher's best friend slash homie. Now, the key to having this man on your squad is that you'll be able to get access to information that you otherwise would not be able to have access to. Little nuggets of joy, as I like to say. There's going to be certain things on exams or homework that other kids are not going to be able to figure out or be aware of that this homie is going to know about, you know? It's very simple. This friend, you know... Just gonna stop by class. Yo, Miss Johnson, what's going on? You know, I talk about the kids, talk about, you know, yeah, this test is coming up, blah, blah, blah. Oh, 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 that's gonna be on the exam? Wow, that's, th- thanks, Miss Johnson. Thanks for letting me know. The number two man that you need on your squad is, of course, the note taker. Now, this guy is crucial for you not to be able to do extra work that you don't wanna do. Strategically, you're going to need this man or woman in every single one of your classes. When you have the right man on your team, you don't have to worry about taking any notes whatsoever or even paying attention in class for that matter because the notes are going to be better anyway. And lastly, the third man on your team, and if you're watching this video, you're probably going to end up being this guy because you're probably lazy as is the plug. Buy food for the rest of the homies. Chill out. Give them a nice little massage. You gotta pull some sort of weight, you know what I'm saying? Overall, you got the emotional support. You got the brains of the operation. And you got the sales, right? Because you're gonna need to sell your teacher on the mission. Now, in all my years of school, all 12, 13, 14 years of it, every three-man squad of this nature has succeeded with flying colors. I've never seen it fail once. Go make your squad. Now Joshua Terhune, a child therapist, in this episode from his shortcast, shares a question you can ask yourself that may have more depth to it than it initially appears to. Here's a question you can ask yourself that seems really simple, but there's a lot of depth to this. And I'll explain. I'm a therapist and I enjoy asking interesting questions. And so the question is, what is your biggest pet peeves? It seems really simple, right? But there's a lot of depth to it. The famous psychoanalyst Carl Jung said, everything that irritates us can lead to a better understanding of ourselves. And he's absolutely right on that. So it might help to provide an example. And I'll use myself. So like my pet peeves are you know, whipped dessert and um, the imitation maple syrup that's really just corn syrup. Those are my pet peeves because they're fake, but they're really just trying to extract as much money from you as possible. And that's like, not cool in my book. Like if you're going to do something, do it right for the people that you're serving. And if you want to take the conversation even deeper, ask them about a time when they've expressed those qualities. Because everyone has 
again what Carl Jung would say like our shadow selves kind of our dark side we all have it and it's important to acknowledge that dark side of ourselves because when we don't it'll still show up but we will just not be aware of it and continue to repeat those things more and more so it sounds kind of kind of counterintuitive to like notice and be aware of this but in the end it's about bringing that awareness so you can be in control of it instead of it being in control of you so i hope this helps hope you learned something from this i i mean i think it's amazing but it's up to you guys let me know what you think well now that baseball season is a few weeks behind us and thanksgiving is a few weeks ahead of us Kate Maniscalco makes the case for how each MLB team matches up with a classic Thanksgiving dish. Even if you don't follow baseball, this is a great segment. Bon appetit! MLB teams is Thanksgiving food. Let's get into it. Obviously, first we have the turkey, the star of the show. It's very legendary, but always kind of bland. Honestly, it's just carried by legacy, the New York Yankees. Cranberry sauce is sweet and tart. It's always on the table, but nobody actually enjoys it being there. But you can't have Thanksgiving without it, the same way you can't have the postseason without the Houston Astros. Then we have this decadent Thanksgiving charcuterie board. It looks so good as a presentation. Here's the thing. It will always be an appetizer. Never quite make it to the main event, so I guess the Los Angeles Dodgers. And try not to choke on the grapes. Now we have this monstrosity of a sweet potato casserole. I don't know why it's trying so hard to be good. Nobody's really gonna eat this. You'd much rather go for just like a simple mashed potato, but they're trying, they're, they're just not succeeding. The New York Mets. Nobody wants to eat a vegetable, okay? They don't wanna eat a crispy Brussels sprout. It doesn't look good when you just set it down on the table, but when you eat it, it's like deep fried, it's seasoned correctly, and it's actually really good. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Everyone's gonna have a bite of mac and cheese. Nobody dislikes mac and cheese. They're always gonna say, yeah, no, throw it on the table. It's like kids' food. The Baltimore Orioles. Follow the part two. Next up is Dr. Ben Rain, a PhD neuroscientist who explains the brain in his shortcast, Make It Brain with Dr. Brain. In this episode, he discusses an unusual problem with studies of psychedelics. And he asks for help if you have any ideas on how to solve it. There are a lot of clinical trials happening right now involving psychedelics, but there's something super interesting about these trials that really doesn't get talked about. How to keep people from knowing what they got. See, when you sign up for one of these trials as a subject, you are told that they are testing a psychedelic drug. They have to tell you that because it can't just be a surprise that it's LSD and suddenly you're tripping for eight hours straight. But what you're not told on purpose is whether you're going to be in the drug group or in the control group that gets a placebo. You're not supposed to know what you got. This is called blinding, and ideally both you and the person giving you the drug should be blind to what it is. But the problem is, in psychedelic studies, it's pretty obvious whether you're in the treatment group or in the placebo group. I mean, it happens all the time. In this study, they gave people either ayahuasca or placebo, and then they actually asked them to guess what they think they got. No surprise, 100% of the people in the trial guessed correctly. This is problematic because having a good control group is super important. In many drug trials, the people in the placebo group actually show some sort of treatment effect, probably because there's some expectation that they're going to get better, and they have no idea whether they got the treatment or the placebo. If the placebo group can tell that they're in the placebo group, then it could affect the way that they respond. To get around this, scientists will sometimes give an active control, something that does cause some sort of response, usually itching or tingling or something like that. So my question to you is, how can science get around this? If you have any ideas, please put them in the comments. Seriously, if they are good, I will gladly share them with my colleagues. Thank you for your interest, and please follow for more science. 
Now, an episode of Don't Just Win, Dominate with Bill Harper, a marketing and branding leader. He talks about how important it is to simplify your marketing and sales messaging. Don't describe the mousetrap if you're trying to build a brand. Businesses do this all the time. They fall madly in love with their solution and they want to talk about it. But this is completely confusing to your target audience. The target audience is desperate for simplicity. They want to know that every time I see a nail, I need to get a hammer. That's how simple it's got to be. So for all of you like, but our hammer is titanium and our, our handle has got a such and such grip and the wood is made from a, you know, I don't know, whatever tree. Like all of that stuff is great and aligns and excites the internal team, but it means absolutely nothing to the person who needs to be able to drive a nail into a board. So when you're thinking about your marketing and your sales, they are in this case, one in the same effort, make sure that you are not wasting your, your target's time describing yourself, admiring your reflection in the mirror. All that's doing is making it harder for them to say yes. They need to understand this is what we do. If you see a screw, you need a screwdriver. If it's a, a nail, you need a hammer. You've gotta have that level of simplicity for them to be able to understand how you bring value to their situation. If you don't, believe me when I say you're leaving big money on the table. Finally, we're gonna hear from Stacy Savage in her shortcast, Talking Trash with Stacy Savage. Stacy owns an environmental consultancy in Texas. Today, she shares her origin story, or how she got into this field. Hey, everybody. Stacy Savage here, a.k.a. the Texas Trash Talker. I'm owner and founder of Zero Waste Strategies. We're an environmental consultancy based right here in Austin, Texas. And we work with businesses and local governments to reduce waste, for increased profits, deeper customer loyalty, and to drive a green marketing edge. Uh, we've worked with businesses such as Kohler, Nestle Purina Pet Care Brands, uh, Unico Properties, and even local governments such as the City of Austin Recycling Department and the City of Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, we've worked on environmental uh, zero waste plans and helping them implement uh, waste reduction uh, strategies so that they can increase their uh, optimization uh, of their operations internally. And again, helping to drive that green marketing edge doesn't hurt. Uh, you know, life has been great for the last seven years. We've been rocking and rolling, uh, but it really hasn't always been this way. And I wanted to give you guys uh, just a little background history of why we created Zero Waste Strategies in the first place. Um, I am from the Southeast uh, portion of the state of Texas, which is along the Louisiana border and the Gulf Coast. This is also known as the oil and gas mecca of the country. So these areas are where my folks worked. My, both my parents and even my extended family work at the refineries or did for 35 plus years. And, uh, you know, even in, in growing up, my own family was complicit in polluting our community. Um, do I blame them? Absolutely not. It's really one of the only uh, well-paying industries in the area. But what got me thinking is why should they live in an area and polluting themselves? So, you know, I, I really wanted to take it to the companies and to the local governments that make the policies around these kinds of um, industries and help them understand that 
they can have environmental protection and economic development. They have to go hand in hand, of course. So uh, we've really uh, strived to to help businesses uh, reduce their waste uh, output and really help them understand the economics of waste reduction and having an optimized business structure uh, or business model. And really helping them lead their industry as well, getting in buy uh, buy in from their employees, and uh, you know just driving driving the industry standards. So just wanted to give you guys a little background history of why we do what we do, why we care so deeply about protecting our communities, our homes, our families, and and really. Uh, you know, giving these businesses a, a sense of pride and, in, in doing the right thing uh, for the communities that they're in. Um, that's another big thing. So uh, you can go ahead and drop your questions and your comments down in the comment section. And if you are a business and you're seeking to green up from the inside out, please contact us. We're at 512-693-7677. We'll be developing a couple more videos throughout the week, so be on the lookout for that. But until then, we'll chat later. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this taste of some of our favorite recent shortcasts. If you did, please subscribe and consider writing a review on your podcast app. It helps surface our show to other potential listeners. Also, please tell your friends. We really appreciate your support as we grow our show. There are links for each of the creators you heard today in the show notes. We encourage you to find and follow them on Shortcast Club and on all the other platforms. They are all very binge-worthy. Check out more great shows available on Shortcast Club, the app, Download the app from the iOS or Android app store. Search for Shortcast Club. Thanks and happy listening. Shortcast Club.